We did this before. Jeb. <laughs> Jeb, is this yeah. this is what you've been saying all along about helicopters, right? Yeah. Well, in part. Part, yeah, it's a rotating mass of metal fatigue surrounding an oil That's leak in search of a zip code in which to have an NTSB investigation. That's called ground resonance, what yeah. you saw there. And be, yes, go ahead. It's called ground resonance. What does that mean exactly? What it means, yeah. Well, no, it doesn't. They did exactly the wrong thing because if you keep clicking through, I got to an opening to an old MacGyver episode which shows the right thing to do when you encounter ground resonance, which is get the hell back up in the air. Yeah. Right. If you pop the helicopter right back in the air and then re-land properly, basically what it means is the guys plopped it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't do that with a helicopter. Helicopters, everything's got to be smooth and balanced. And if you get a little wobble in the system between oh, yeah. the airframe and the rotor, it is only going to get worse, not better. And them and blades, they can be flexing up and down in that arc yeah. until yeah. the whole thing comes apart. Oh, yeah. wait, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just so everyone. I, I nominate hereby a little wobble in the system as this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What we're talking about here is a YouTube video that I think a lot of people have seen already that shows. Uh, is, it a, is it YouTube? Uh, I thought yeah. it was YouTube. No, there's a. So it's a Brazilian or Australia. It's some. some came out of brazil okay. well okay all right now you're gonna make me open it hang on let me open up the the, yeah. the link here and uh I, yeah my and you have to sit through 15 seconds of an ad oh amy, man amy's right on the money i mean the the whole way to cure ground residents is to eliminate either the residents or the ground so if you get back in the air there's no ground okay i stand corrected the, the residents will smooth itself out yeah. Yeah, it's not a YouTube video. It's uh it's from a from a, a apparently a Brazilian website, but it shows a, what type of helicopter is that? Can anybody name the helicopter? That's um Eurocopter single uh Is that the EC135? I think it is. Thank you. Okay. And it's uh it's apparently uh, about to touch down for a landing when everything goes crazy. And Amy, you're saying that the problem was that he plopped it? What does that mean exactly? Just what I said. Yeah. So you gotta like you gotta like hover. And, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a touchdown. What, what is dude. not it was descriptive about that? Okay. I, I I don't know. Okay. And uh, if you if you go to the um, let me let me check something here. Let me load this real quick. All right. Uh, While you're loading it, let's be very clear about one thing here. How many of us are helicopter rated? Okay, that's what I thought. All right. Okay, I'm not helicopter rated, but I absolutely etiquette edited the advanced helicopter <laughs> maneuvers book for ASA. Is that anything right. like staying in a Holiday Inn Express? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, except it's better. The, the Holiday Inn Express never pays you to stay there. Yeah. Understand. I, I, okay. I, have a, I have a gyroplane rating. Okay, so I do understand about, oh, all right. about okay. motors and all that other stuff. That's, so. good. That's some credit. A gyroplane instructor's rating, if I remember right. Neil, I do not have the instructor's rating. Oh, that you don't is, have that okay. is that is a misnomer. Somebody out there is spreading rumors about me that aren't true. Well, that's not um, the worst of them. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but having having been been basically immersed in helicopters in order to do this book, which which I had to re, had to rewrite from um, New Zealand English into American English, 
um, I can tell you that that is ground resonance. Mm-hmm. And right. if you if you Google ground resonance, you will come up with a very nice video of how to do it right, right. which yeah. which is the the little YouTube video that um, is the the opening scene of a MacGyver episode. And what's so funny is they thought the Hollywood people thought it was so cool they left it in. Mm-hmm. The well, whole it wasn't clip. deliberate. It wasn't deliberate. No, exactly wrong. He dumps the guys off, and you can see just exactly the same thing happen. And the door pops open, and he pulls the airplane right back up in the air. He airplane. pulls the helicopter right back up, and of course, it stops and it goes away. Okay. Boo and wah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, I guess. Uh, in the in the uh, um, what else is out there in the inter- on the uh, on the internet in ground resonance? If you, you go to the Wikipedia entry on ground resonance there's a better there's a link to this specific video we're talking about uh it's a better video in that it doesn't have 15 seconds of ad copy in front of it and that link denotes that it's an as 350 ba helicopter which Uh, is still a eurocopter but okay so so it's also a link to a uh, video of a chinook a military u.s military ch-47 chinook uh, supposedly doing the same thing. And I'm Ooh. trying to load that as I speak. Now, this is different than the the uh, the uh, Ospreys got themselves into kind of a jam because there was some problem that they had that when you when you when you descend too quickly into your own rotor wash or something like that, um, you and lose. You descend straight down, in essence. Yeah. Uh, and you yeah, lose lift. Yeah, and they and some, yeah. and and it's sort of like almost. It makes me think of a spin because you don't lose lift evenly. You lose it more on one side than the other, and as a result, it can tip over. As I understand, right? You roll. Well, remember that the, the blades have got to be generating the lift to keep you aloft, right? If you is are that how it works, David? In, no. If you're if you're if you're generating lift in air that's moving downward already, uh, you're either, you either you either got to generate a whole lot more in excess of the air right. moving down, or you're going to go down with it. Right. But that's have a different... you ever mo- noticed, yeah. Jack, that helicopters don't just come up over a site and then drop down. Mm-hmm. They almost always come in on a glide slope mm-hmm. if they can. And then land. The reason they do that is to avoid having that happen. Ah, okay. They really don't want to have to come up, hover up on a site, and then have to come straight down because they will end up in their own rotor wash. Mm-hmm. And you do and, that and straight it, down. The uh, condition is called vor- Go ahead, Jeb. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Jeb. The condition is called vortex ring state. There you That's- go. That was and the very there, thing I was about to say. And that's women. There is that's the descending in your rotor wash thing, right, Jay? Right. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. And, and it's very different from ground resonance, but right. both of those things can tear a helicopter apart. Yeah. Jeb, I'm sorry, we keep interrupting you. Go ahead. It could be one of those nights, Jeb. Get ready. Well, in that case, um in that case, uh, I will jump here and, in here and say, welcome, folks, to episode 277 <laughs> of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. background noise throughout the day, but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really no good noise. background noise. That's yeah, right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the house. That's right. We've got Skyriders now. We've got Skyriders We've got Skyriders now. Sky now. Sky now. Does that say UCAP? I can't. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on site, clear. Turkey National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Delta. 
We're recording this episode on, uh, I hope it's Thursday, March 15th, 2012. It's the Ides of March. That's just a bad sign right there. That may be the problem that we're having right now. Uh, and uh, I, I bet I have a longer knife than you. Maybe, but you're 3,000 miles to or 2,000 miles away. So, uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, uh, three of my very, very good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from somewhere near Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David, how are you doing tonight? Oh, lovely, lovely. It's so July like here. You were telling me it's insanely warm today. How hot did it get? Uh, uh, about 82, I believe, is where we are. Man. Um, that almost I mean, just unheard of for March. That's almost enough to make our Florida friends jealous. So, Why yeah, would I be jealous? Maybe something here today. So yeah, uh, okay, all right, all right. Well, those other two smart Alex. Let's see. One of them is uh, <laughs> Jeb Burnside talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How are you tonight? I'm warm. <laughs> Apparently, and it got to be 80 degrees today. Uh, it get, at least yeah. I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm thinking really... closer to 87. No, but not really. Yeah, probably was closer to 87 here. Really? Wow. Okay. But there's still no water in the pond, right? There's still no water in the pond. I mean, there's water in the pond, but it's down three feet. Yeah. Um, it's is, high. is there an alligator in the pond now or not? Or is that still? Two alligators. They're back. Okay. All right. There's, there's a younger one and an um, older one. I'd say, you know, a year old and a two-year-old. Yeah. Based on last year's uh, uh, timing, it's it's about mating season, right? It, about- it just it is it is getting on towards mating season uh, um, based strictly uh, and solely on uh, my experience with those alligators last year. From yeah. last year. That's right. Yeah. And I'm just going to make a mating season joke, but I won't. Um, totally unrelated to mating season. Also here in the virtual hangar is our good friend Amy Laboda. Good ta- God. Who's talking That's... to us from Fort Myers, Florida. Man, I, what a segue. It was awful. It was just terrible. <laughs> Hi, Amy. How are you? You're going to want to well, redo that in post, aren't you? No. I was doing a lot better before you went no, on. No, no, like no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hi, Give Amy. that man some Gatorade. Amy, how are you doing? What's going on? I'm doing great, but I am also <laughs> sweating, and not because of the intro you just gave. I understand. I didn't. I, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, oh, you're uh, you're just. Yeah, you, but you and are. Jeb, you thought it ba- thought you had it bad because you were getting stepped on. You are kind of j- catching your breath, though, right? You just got Super. back from a, uh, a quite a, a thing, right, Amy? The Dallas a, Metroplex. A thing. Actually, it was my second time in the Dallas Metroplex inside of 21 days, which is pretty much unprecedented for mm-hmm. me. And why were you uh, there this time? I was there this time for the 23rd Annual International Women in Aviation Conference, yeah. which uh, had a spectacular attendance of... Thirty-three fifty. My boss really thinks it's important to put the. Wow, that's in. that's up up a good bit from last year, isn't it? It's up eight percent from last year, which wow, um, pleases us all to no end. Um, I think it's up because people are hiring, and there were really um, let's see, Alaska. What, what, was that, Horizon, what was that phrase you just used? Hiring, hiring oh, pilots, uh-oh. hiring mechanics. That's not I what I hear. Years. I hear nobody's hiring. Really? Everybody's out yeah. of work. Not true. Not in my exhibit hall. Exojet was hiring on the corporate side. Um, Pratt & Whitney was hiring. Boeing was hiring. Hmm. Amy, hmm. I want to ask you more about this, but before D- Dave gets all bent out of shape here, let me just jump in here and say, oh, and, I, and yeah. I'm Jack Hodgson, and <laughs> I am coming to you from the uh, UCAP Winter HQ on the evergreen slopes of Garrison Hill in Dover, New Hampshire. Um uh, 
One thing I'm un- one one thing I'm unclear on though. Yeah. Uh, un- unclear on, I should say, Jack, mm-hmm. is why is it you would not want Dave to be bent out of shape? <laughs> I don't know. It's just yeah, you're right. I'm not that, sure what shape that would be. That's. I was going to say, when is Dave not know? in some bizarre shape? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. How, how you would go. you tell? I know. I don't know. I don't would know. You, would, would you recognize it if it was different? I don't know. All I know is he gets very itchy and he starts jumping in and he makes comments that I don't quite understand and and uh, so I. Well, I, now that's that's a totally unrelated topic. I, I found. I was going to say, wait, like my intro? <laughs> yeah. No. 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 <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have a while living that one down. Amy, tell us about your conference. So uh, attendance was good, and the industry is uh, showing good signs. Uh, uh, what else was notable from your conference? Uh, let's see, nearly 560,000. That would be 559 and change. But anyhow, nearly 560,000 in scholarships dispersed. Oh. That's always a good sign. Yep. I love giving away other people's money. Um, now, these and- are scholarships for what? Ooh, everything high and low aviation related from engineering, mechanics, pilots, dispatch, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, 85 scholarships were given out. Hmm. Great. Wow, 85. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's very cool. I mean, it gets all the way down to the little $500 scholarships for books for students. And, you know, the Ride the Sun scholarship is one of my favorite, given out by um, um, a couple of friends of mine. One's a, an FAA air traffic control safety inspector, and the other one is an A&P mechanic and home builder, um, air racer type. And they're, they're good friends. And they give out this Ride the Sun scholarship. It's 500 bucks. And it's for whatever really cool thing you want to do in aviation. Oh, you want to be an air racer. You want to, you know, teach people glider stuff. You want to, you know, I mean. So they look for the most creative, most interesting thing. Hmm. So it's sort of like an aviation MacArthur grant, sort of. Right. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, although without quite as many zeros, but yeah, well. Um, but it's their little their own. And what I love is there are so many of our members who won scholarships, who now give out scholarships. We have a scholarship for a South African uh, ICAO night rating. Okay? Mm-hmm. Which is really, really important if you want to continue on because you actually have to have an – it's not part of your private pilot there. Right. Okay? Yep. So things, things like that um, that might seem a little esoteric until you look at our makeup – which now out of uh, 81 plus 100 members, um, a full 11% are international, a full 10% are men because we don't discriminate, because we don't like being discriminated against, point blank. So there are guys who win these scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And there are guys in the exhibit hall standing out and getting jobs because yeah. of it. Uh-huh. Cool. Uh, so uh, this conference, it, it's it sort of tell, describe the conference. Is it sort of your basic conference? It has some exhibits and some forums and some, is that how it works? Or? Well, we've got, we've got about 50 different educational sessions. Uh, we do have an exhibit hall. There were 180 booths in there, which is not AOPA. It's not NBAA or HAI. Um, but it, it's focused. There are a lot of HR people in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are looking at candidates. They are looking for diversity within the workforce. Um, let's face it, guys. It's white, 
male. Right. Aviation, predominantly. Yeah. I mean, but if you walked into my conference, you would not think that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I Do- mean, you would be like, holy crap, all these people are in aviation. <laughs> They're every color of the rainbow. Um, they are, you know, every every inclination, declination, and they're walking around in their flight suits if they wear flight suits. Um, you know, in, in fact, I had a great quote from a friend of mine today because I asked her. I'm working on, obviously, some stories. And I asked her, um, why do you wear your flight suit at the conference? Now, she's a test pilot for Sikorsky, okay? Yeah. Um, and she said, women in aviation is the only conference in which I wear a flight suit. It was the military women in uniform that inspired me to wear one. I think the military women feel a sense of pride and belonging in uniform, especially amongst each other. I was military, but the Army took away flight suits from us because they wanted the aviation units to look like all the rest of the soldiers. The thing is, aviation is different. Aviation is full of kindred spirits, and a uniform or a flight suit differentiates us and instantly identifies us. If someone is interested in working for Sikorsky or flying a helicopter— I hope they chase down the lady in the tan flight suit. That's me. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's an interesting energy there, and people are there to help each other. It's mentoring. It's networking. Um, it's not. It's competitive, but it's not competitive the way I don't know. Right. If I say the way guys are competitive, are you all going to throw like tomatoes at me? Well, I sort of understand what you're talking about. Now, you know, and I've gotten that sense of this conference when you've told us about it in past years, too. Does your organization go out of its way to make it that sort of a hiring networking event more than some of the other conferences? Or does it just fall out that way somehow? I think it has naturally fallen out that way because I think a lot of these companies, you know, they, they look at us and they go, what is it we can get from this? And the the best thing they can get is a little bit more ease in diversifying their workforce, which a lot of these big companies have a lot of pressure to do. And they don't want to do it by quotas because then they don't hire qualified individuals. What we provide are highly qualified individuals. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Also meet their diversity quote diversity um, requirements. Um. So, am I? Do, do some of the other shows that we go to have this sort of a hiring component that I'm not aware of, or or is this really unique? No, I think I think it's there at other shows, but I think other shows are so much bigger that they that you don't see it as obviously. I think we do go out of our way now that we've identified that that's what they want. To yeah, try and it, make that happen. Go ahead. I'd have to. I'd have to to, to diverge with from from your th- thought on that because of all the stuff that I've ever attended and what I've known about. Yeah, there's some resume exchanges and there's some handshakes and some folks get face to face time at you know at an NBAA or even an Oshkosh or something like that. Uh, but uh, I've always gotten a feeling that women in aviation. In particular, was had developed into a really strong job market, and that uh, personnel people had made up a, a, a big part of the attendance for a long time. Because uh, I, don't, I don't know anything equal to it. No, I, I don't think there's an airline pilots convention on par with the women in aviation international, for example. 
Well, that's that's a wonderful compliment. One thing I would say is that this year we went out of our way to do some outreach on on a much bigger level. We always do a teachers workshop, like an AVSED, um FAA AVSED teachers um, educational workshop to try and get the teachers to use aviation in the schools for math science. But this year we did a bring your daughter to the conference day. And what we were trying to do, we reached out to the local Dallas-Fort Worth community. Um, We wanted to kind of link into the 100th anniversary of the Girl Scouts. Yes, they have an aviation badge. We created activities that would complement that aviation badge that day um, and brought the kids in on Saturday. We had 160 kids, um, almost all girls. Again, two boys showed up. We did not discriminate against them. They came in. They, although I think it's really gutsy that that I, I'm pretty sure this was a parent motivated thing. Now, correct me if you think I'm wrong here, um, because I don't know any boys who wouldn't walk into a room of 158 girls and go, "Oh, seriously." <laughs> Well, what age are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Between the ages of eight and seventeen. Oh yeah. Well, in the younger, in the in the in the lower half of that, for sure. Yeah, they're going to run away. Like you know, my goodness, what have I gotten myself oh, into? Man. The guys um, that I grew up with at thirteen, we were already we. A couple of my buds and I, we took summer school typing classes because you know <laughs> we were in summer school typing classes. <laughs> We were, yeah, I know. Okay, you know it's funny. I had coffee with a friend of mine, uh, a, a, a a woman friend of mine. Uh, it's long been friends since we were like ten years old, and uh, and and we were talking about my my uh, my. Uh, I don't know how to characterize it exactly. My meager remote romantic situation, and uh, and she's going, oh, why you know why don't you, you meet people? And I said, listen, I spent half my life doing computers, and now I'm involved in aviation. Neither one of them is is or both of them are highly male or. Oriented, so, uh, um, but you know what? Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. Well, no, but but you're right because you look at the makeup of our university chapters of women in aviation, and I would say more than half of our university chapters have a fifty-fifty mix of men and women. So well, that's you're great. absolutely right. <laughs> And it's and it's you know totally based on just kind of a, a casual observation over the years. Um, Oshkosh has become when I started going to Oshkosh twenty years ago. It was what I was sort of jokingly referring to a minute ago. It was like you know guys and guys you know and and women a few women who were accompanying their guy there for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but over the years, it's there's been this steady steady increase in my view of women who appear to be attending on their own because they're interested for for whatever reason and uh um and i think that's great you know i mean i you know i've always said i i'm in favor of diversity not only because diversity is good for the you know the the minority that's getting involved diversity is good because it's better for me all right you know and all meeting women jokes aside all right (laughs) Uh, that's not really what i'm talking about i'm saying diversity makes the world a better place for me too and so uh, i'm all in favor of it Um, well i'm i'm curious because i i still see out there there is there is an element in in the corporate culture of aviation and aerospace that still asks the question, why do we need women involved? Why do we need need minorities involved? What why do we need it different 
than, I mean, what's wrong with what we've been doing for the last 100 years in aerospace? And I'm with you. My answer is, um, hello, you need diversity in order to be able to stay creative and competitive. Um, my question is, I mean, do you have better answers to that? Seriously, Jeb, that's my answer. I mean, would you agree with me, disagree? I think it's a silly question, and I don't mean your question. I mean the question of why we need diversity. I think it's a non sequitur. The premise is faulty to begin with. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I agree, although obviously a lot of people ask that question. I'm telling you it gets asked. I'm telling you that I know, I know because I heard the complaint, okay, that let's let's talk about EAA doing a story on the Tuskegee Airmen and EAA members call EAA and complain. Really? Really? Yes. Yeah. I can't I don't make this stuff up, guys. Yeah, I know. It's still there. Well, that 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 would mesh with a lot of the feedback and and a lot of the 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 ground level stuff that I hear from my local friends that are involved with the organization. Uh, that's a that's 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 a whole. We got a list. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we should go. Anyways, yeah, no, uh, I agree. I agree. But but we 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 can go past that. But I'm just saying that the reason that women in aviation exists is because these these issues of of diversity have not been resolved inside our society yet. Well, that's for and, sure. And sadly, and but that's true. It's uh, sad, and and it's certainly true within aviation. Yeah. Amy, every year when you tell us about this conference, I think it sounds intriguing. And um, I, I really think I need to attend one of these days. What, what Do you have the dates for next year yet? Sure. It's uh, March. Hang on, hang on, hang on. It's uh, March 14th through 16th, 2013 in Nashville, Music City, Tennessee. Great. And we'll ask That's you that, again. That'd be Nashville. Well, Nashville. Well, and okay. uh, we'll ask you. V-U-L. Yeah. And Amy, we'll ask you again later on, but what's the URL for the organization? WAI.org. All right. That sounds cool. Congratulations to your organization. Congratulations to you. I hope you, I, I know you just got back and you're catching your breath. I appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us in the hangar here. What else is going on here? This is, a, this is an item that's been on the list for a long time now, and it's been kind of skipped over, but I just wanted to touch on it before we go much further. Um, posting in the forums, uh, Riga Runner posted a forum uh, an item that he says how long to solo how long to private pilot scl he says i was struck the other night when i when at a dinner a number of 50 and 60 year old pilots happened to mention that they did their first solo in seven or nine hours Uh, as for me i soloed about five years ago at about 30 hours i don't know any pilot who got their license in the last five years who soloed in less than 20 hours so the question Riga Runner asks, is, has something changed? Is flying more difficult than it used to be? Amy, you're the instructor. What, what, is there a national average oh of some my. sort? Yes. Gosh, I just got harassed this afternoon over that from my own husband. When is your student going to solo anyway? 
Yeah. Well, I always thought that, it, I mean, I, I've always figured that a lot of it has to do with the more complex airspace that people are learning in these days. You know, well, that, that, that's if you're learning in complex airspace. But I, but I would submit that most people are, uh, just because that's where the people are. Um, I learned at Palo Alto, which was nestled in between the, uh, the uh, you know, the uh, San Francisco Class Bravo, the Oakland Arsa, and the San Jose Arsa. I'm mixing my names here. I apologize. But, uh, you know, I, they, were, they were Arsas in those days. Yeah, but I'm trying to write what the TCA. heck was a, TCA. Thank you. A TCA <laughs> and the Arsa. Um, so I learned in a, in a, in a very challenging and well, it relatively sounds in, like you're being sworn at by someone from the United Kingdom. I know. Take yeah. your TSA and shove it in your Arsa. <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, um, so I was sort of led to believe that it takes more hours to solo just because you're in a more challenging environment. And, um, and that if you learned how to fly, in you know a farmland of of you know Iowa, you maybe could solo in ten hours. Is is that true, or is that just not the case anymore? Well, here's no. the deal. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, Amy, you're the CFI. You go first. Yeah. It, there's a lot on a CFI's shoulders. There's a lot of things that are actually dictated that have to be done, and actually mastered to a certain degree before solo now. Okay, and oh. my average my average student solos in twenty five to thirty hours. I'll tell you that right off the bat. They finish about ten twelve hours after that, fifteen at the at the most. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so you're saying when it has you say, a, when you say finished, you mean recommended for the private ride? That is correct. All right, so you're saying that it has to do with the test standards or whatever. It has to do with a couple of different things. One of them's liability, point blank. What do you mean by that? Exactly the point I was going to make. Make the point, Jeb, because... Yeah, Jeb, what do you mean I, I by... Don't have any, I don't have anything to back it up. It's just supposition that uh, the liability involved, not only in the hull insurance and the aircraft insurance, but in the uh, oh. the instruction, the personal yeah. liability involved, uh, makes it a whole different um, um, situation, a whole different environment than when it was than when I was uh, getting my solo sign off. Uh, okay, you said you, I, I'm, I misunderstood you. You said liability. Liability. Okay. That is the word. Yeah, I thought you said I am yeah. liable. Yeah. Okay. No, no, that makes if sense. That student goes out there and breaks the airplane or hurts themselves. So, uh, and in this litigious society that we exist in, I need to be absolutely confident. No question whatsoever that that student can solo that day safely. Are there any stats, uh, uh, Jeb? This is sort of your field, but anybody um, about um, how relatively more dangerous it was back in the old days? Did people get hurt soloing at nine hours, ten hours? Um, I've never really looked at the um, uh, you know, say a day to day or month to month kind of. Uh, accident uh, record from back in the day. When I say back in the day, I sold it in 1973, okay? So put that, you know, in, in, in some uh, um, um, uh, place and, and worry about it later. Uh, back then, I don't recall a great deal of uh, solos, uh, students um, uh, pranging metal on their solos. There's not a whole lot of students pranging metal on their solos now. But the big difference is the, the quality and uh, accessibility of the record keeping. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Forty years ago, uh, we didn't have an internet and we didn't have uh, 
uh, some of the uh, automated systems that we have now to keep track of these things. So we could go back, and it would be cumbersome to do so because not all this stuff is digitized, but mm -hmm. we could go back to 40 years ago and look at accident records and determine if it was a student pilot and or on his or her first, first solo. I see the, these days, I see maybe one or two a month in the NTSB uh, accident prelims. I generally look at two-thirds to three-quarters of each month's accident prelims until I've got my space filled in the magazine. <laughs> yeah. Then I move on to something else. Right. But wait a minute. Uh, Let me, did I understand you correctly? You say you see two or three solo no. incidents I, or accidents. I, I, see, I see on average one or two. A month. A month involving uh, students on their first solo. Hmm. That's more than I would have expected. Well, you know, and they're, and, 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 go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Dave. David, go I'm ahead. Just thinking, just thinking of the, some of the variables that apply here, and you know, we've known for a long time that even though forty hours is the, the minimum standard, uh, I believe that's still true. That most people aren't getting their check ride until their high fifties or low sixties in total time of instruction, and for a long time, a lot of instructors to have it confided in me that one of the reasons for that is people not flying as frequently as they did years ago. Hmm. That's so true, the, too. So, so the guy flying two or three times a week, he's flying once a week or yeah. three times a month or something along those lines. Well, you spend so much of the next lesson refreshing what you were supposed to have learned on the last one uh, that it's not, it's not as efficient training yeah. to do it that well, way. Well, here's, here's a great example. My student, my student flew last summer straight through the 25th of July and was ready to f solo right around the end of July, did not fly again until the 15th of January. Whoa. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the first 20 hours are damn near shot Yeah. at mm -hmm. that point. And I've got to go back and I've got to retread. We come into March, the wind starts blowing. Well, she now can only fly in a crosswind. <laughs> you know, and I've got to get her soloed so that she can take off and land at an airport that has a ditch running next to the runway. Oh, my. So well, the it, question it, it, I have for you is, how long is it going to take this student in that situation to solo? What airplane? A 150. But, what, but my point airport? is, at Pine Shadows. You've but been to Pine Shadows. You know where the ditch is. It's, it's, it's a... Yeah, I know where the ditch is, but Pine Shadows is, is a pussycat. It, it, it sounds like Dead Cow. Airport. Well, no, it is. Pine, it is Pine Shadows is better than Dead Cow. It's better than Hill I agree. River. I, yeah, I, I agree. It's a nice little piece of pavement. But I still can't solo her if she no. can't handle the crosswind when you come around from base to final and she gets not completely off, right? You thought about taking her to a different airport, right? Of course, but the point of solo, and I've already done that. We were at Immokalee today. We go up to, to Punta Gorda. But, but the point of solo is to be able to have her leave here, go do a sortie, and come back. Yes or no? I, I, I understand right. that. That's part of the reason to solo. Another part of the reason to solo someone is to give them a sense of achievement when they're ready for it, uh, knowing full well that it's just a rung on the ladder and they still have more ladder. Yes, right. I Still agree more. completely. Yeah. And if another. I can get her if I can get her out here three days in a row, and this goes to what what Dave just talked about. If I can get out get her out here three days in a row, 
Oh, and she can show show me decent landings. It, I can do huge, that. Yeah, huge, David, go huge ahead. Huge difference. Huge difference. And and addressing Jack's you know thoughts about more complex airspace situations. Absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> I've I've got an acquaintance that did their flight training out of Dulles International. Uh, before the airspace was as complicated as it is now, uh, and in a two-hour lesson, barely got an hour of airtime in between right. taxiing out and then getting away from the dullest pattern to where they could practice, uh, you know, free of any part of the upside-down wedding cake, and then working their way back in, and then 10, 12 minutes taxiing back to the FBO, Mm-hmm. Uh, it was horribly inefficient as opposed to a friend of mine who got his li- license here uh, at uh, Augusta Municipal, where we kept our airplane, where I finished my training. Uh, you take off there and turn east, and you know, <laughs> as soon as you get out of the downwind, you're in practice area. It's the rest of Kansas. Uh, so it takes you five minutes to get out of there and go practice. So a two-hour lesson there, and that guy's probably actually netting – a hundred minutes of actual usable instruction time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you throw the multiples on it. That's really encouraging. Uh, this this young man started taking lessons at Mid-Continent, uh, which is only a Charlie, but it's still got all the wonders of being the Charlie Airport. You got to get a clearance to taxi. You got a taxi. You got a clearance out of there. Then you got to get got it out of the Charlie. Then you're on your own. Then you got to reverse the whole thing coming back in. Right. Now it's not a Dulles by a long shot, right? But it all leads into it. And after about three hours over there, he, he's like, "This is this is freaking nuts." It's the same distance in the other direction. He moved over to Augusta. Uh, he wanted to do three three lessons a week. He wound up doing two lessons a week. Uh, and he still did it in about six and a half weeks. Yeah, and, and just by the way, that wasn't the the main part of my point about the more complex airspace causing more time to solo. Although, you know, just kind of the amount of time it takes to go someplace is part of it. My biggest point was that 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 instructors. My sense is that instructors want you to have accomplished more to gain more skills in terms of dealing with the airspace. You know, like if you learn to fly at a non-tower airport, then you don't need to learn various, you know, radio things um, that you do need to learn if you're going to solo at Palo Alto. Um, but you do need to learn those things. You may and not guys, need to perfect the, them, but you need to learn that's them. That's right. You, you need do. to learn them. And that's the, exactly right. And the guys that instruct out of Augusta and Benton and uh, Mid-Continent, uh, the a lot of them like to make their dual cross-country time with their students an extended lesson and go visit the Kansas City Bravo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Anyways, uh, yeah. They land at Kansas City, not, that's, that's not common. downtown. Uh, but, you know, but, but I still you know, know a recent private pilot who uh, recently took another recently certificated private pilot who took another pilot uh, on a flight uh, because the just recently certificated pilot had really no experience with towers, yeah. and this was like there to Naples or, or or Fort Myers or something. And I offered to take this person into into Tampa International in her in the airplane this person owns, and uh, I was flatly turned down. I don't want don't want to do that. Have no need to do that. Da 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 da. I'm like you know, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely if, true. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, I was from the very earliest days. I, I never, I've never landed at a Bravo airport, but I've operated through the Bravo airspace since the very earliest days of my earliest hours of my flying. See, I feel, I feel strongly that in order to release a private pilot, that pilot should have done at least once with their instructor all the things that a private pilot can do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Before they even solo in. No, 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 no. Well, before no, 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 no. Before, before their check, check ride. ride. Yeah, right. Okay. Before right. their check but, ride. Yeah, no, no, yeah. that makes sense. Total sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, let's, let's, we're talking three or, three or four different things here. We're talking time to solo. Uh, we're talking airspace congestion. We're talking uh, what should be required and what is required to, for a private check ride. And probably two or three other things that I can't think of right now. So let, let, let's try to keep a little <laughs> bit straighter. Yeah. yeah, and focusing back on the forms, yeah. I I do feel strongly that if it's March and the wind is blowing, and I have a student who's got a lot of the skills ready to solo but is just really struggling with landings, that I am not going to run the risk that that student's going to take that airplane off the runway. And I'm probably going to drive my feet a little bit and keep teaching her and hope that she gets it. But wait for that wind to calm down right. yeah. so that I can get her solo. Yeah. I well, mean, that's and, the and that's the conservative this. side of me speaking. Well, it makes perfect sense to me, Amy, because once she's soloed, you, you can't bar her from taking off to do pattern work at this uncomfortably narrow with a ditch alongside airport. Yes, yes, she can. She's sure, you can. Yeah, you sure can. you can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. When I soloed. You could restrict her out of operating solo from her own field? I can. Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the way I was restricted. Read to you. Yeah. Just, just because someone is soloed once doesn't mean they're endorsed to do it again. Yeah. That's my recollection that, that's of it, true. too. That's true. Um, so we should move on here. But just, just for the record here, so and I only happen to know this number because I've got my logbook right in front of me here. I happen to have it nearby. Um, I soloed at about 32 hours. Do you guys remember how many hours you guys soloed at? Yeah, but I'm not a good example. Would you? <laughs> well, you soloed. Yeah, you guys. All right. So you're not good examples. Tell us, nevertheless. I mean, would you please tell us, nevertheless? Well, no. Okay. I soloed my first hang glider with you know like 35 minutes. Yeah. Okay. I, I soloed my first ultralight with 20 minutes of taxi time. Well, it's because uh, it only had one seat, David. It only had one seat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, but you know, it was like that was it. We went from taxi time to air time. Uh, when I went for my private pilot license, uh, it was my fourth day of instruction, and I had about five and a half hours or so. Okay. But the, uh, obviously a special case. Do you guys, other guys remember right. and care to tell us? Yeah, I had 9.6. Uh, I was not old enough to solo until I had already been flying for yeah. about nine months. So it just doesn't, it doesn't count. Right, I understand. I was pretty much through everything I needed to do. And what really upset me was, okay, fine, I soloed. Now I have to wait a year before I can take my check ride. That stinks. <laughs> That's, I can remember being that angry about that. Oh, I, I, oh, oh, I bet. I bet. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt because it Because you knew how good you were. Well, <laughs> no. I knew I'd done all the things that, that were required to get the rating. And you now the only well thing enough. stopping me was in my mind was you know 
that I wasn't old enough. Now, my instructor would tell you that I had a serious issue with remembering which way was right versus left um, and a couple of other things that it didn't hurt me to spend another year flying around. But I know all about having to fly with your instructor's sign-off. I understand the frustration. There were six months into my hang gliding uh, uh, experience where I was restricted to less than 10 mile an hour of wind coming up the face. And I knew I could handle that 15 guest in 20 and that 20 guest in 25. And, but the little piece of paper said I wasn't allowed to do that. And the clubs that I belonged to were pretty diligent about that. Everybody knew what everybody was approved for. Uh, and, and, and Dave, tell us why those rules exist. Why did those rules exist? For my own good. <laughs> That's what it really comes down to. Yeah. Nobody's doing it to, to try and, and, and force you to spend more money. It's no. really the truly, you might have a slightly overprotective flight instructor, but they're going to get you through it and they're going to get you through it safely. And, and you got to understand that. My, my CFI's favorite three lines were make it safe, make it interesting, and make it fun. Yeah. There you go. Moving on here. There's way more things on the list than we're going to get to. Why don't you guys pick something? Who wants to talk about something here? Dave, what's this yeah. fractional thing going on? What a deal you've got. Oh, this little uh, Ascension Air? Yeah. Yeah, they uh, wound up on these people's press list and uh, uh, a, a couple of days ago got this little uh, blurb from them. Uh, about the uh, ability to buy a, uh, what was it, one-third share? Yeah, buy a share of a new 2012. One-eighth. One-eighth one ownership. Share. Well, I've, I've got another one that for, for another purpose that was a third share of a helicopter. That's why I couldn't remember which was which. Got them both within a couple of hours. Uh, another fractional. But uh, this one-eighth share in a 2012 Cirrus SR-22 Turbo with all the bells and whistles. And they're talking 8500 bucks down payment, 873 a month fixed cost. Uh, well, you wind up paying two grand a month, yeah. but that's for 80 hours a year. Mm -hmm. And how much is each hour? I don't really think they block it down that, break it down that way because by paying the fees flat the way you do, you use the 80 hours or you don't use the 80 hours. I don't, I don't think, is time in the airplane included in $873 a month? I don't think so. Uh, I can go or, by or, or in the down me. payment. Hangers included, cleanings included, database updates for the navigation system. Uh, concierge service for your flight planning, and if you need to rent a pilot. Mm -hmm. Or you can fly it yourself. Yeah. I still don't see any uh, breakdown on the hourly costs. I'm not convinced they're built into this pricing. May not be. Um, just by the way, um, so the, this is not the only one of these uh, businesses that's available. Um, a friend of the podcast uh, and Acrocamp CFI, Don Weaver, is uh, a not a principal necessarily, but a, a staffer, a member of uh, a similar kind of operation called Optair. 
that's out in I believe in the Michigan area and uh, you know I he's you know he's apparently their chief pilot or something like that and uh, I'm very very involved in that and so there's a lot of these kinds of operations or at least there's more than one and uh, oh there are more than one there there were a couple of others that have come and went and uh, this one was one of the more aggressive marketing plans that I'd seen out of one of these, which is one of the reasons why I drug it in for discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, in, the, in the offering of, of, of a new airplane, that kind of surprised me. Uh, you see that with, new, with, with jet fractionals and turboprop fractionals where they're always new, but uh, some of the uh, piston stuff that I'd seen had uh, depended on pre-owned airplanes just because because the depreciation had already brought down there to price some. Yeah. Are there any fractional operations for for like 172s or I mean that's sort of the definition of a, a flying club, but I don't know. Uh well, it can be like a flying club or it can be like a fractional. Uh flying clubs can uh own more than one airplane and each member doesn't have to deal with the separate paperwork of ownership of each individual airplane. Mhm. Uh, fractionals tend to be built around a specific airplane. Yeah, yeah. So it's if you're if you're interested in flying that, you know, and I know a lot of people are interested in flying that style, that that level of airplane, if you will. Um, you know, I'm more interested in the smaller, you know, lighter, lighter, light airplanes. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah. It, and and at the dollar amounts that they're talking about here, uh, you know, I think they're clearly t- aiming some of this at people that think they might like to use an airplane for business. Right. Uh, and this is, a, this is a, a way in with some tax benefits that differ from charter. I see. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What's the story? I'm sorry, Amy. You were going to say something? No. I, 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 the, the, I burped. <laughs> that didn't mute? mute. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, so what's the story on this? Um, the FAA is looking for places to test the drones. Um, th- this story's been floating around for a couple of weeks now. Uh, is, is I actually a- heard about that from the administrator himself. Ooh. It is, he was been- at the conference, too, by the way. Wait a minute. The, the, act- the acting administrator. Yeah, Huerta. Yeah, the, the administrator. Um, what did the administrator have to say on the subject? He said that they are working on designated air, designated areas, eight of them throughout the country, where they will test these drones. And what what is the nature of the areas they are trying to designate? Are they like all out in the desert, or are some of them over Baltimore? Mm, they they ain't promising nothing. Yeah, David, I'm none sorry. Of been, none of that's been determined yet. That's yeah. part of the issue. Uh huh. And they want. You know, uh, uh, feedback. They want comments. Like they, they're going to propose some stuff, uh, and they're going to want public comment on it. And this is largely being driven by the FAA reauthorization bill that was signed on February 14th. Oh yeah, right. Uh, so, member of Congress got specific and very uh, uh, time-oriented language into that bill that basically says that within so many days of the bill being signed into law that the FAA will have put into place some guidelines for the use of, of, uh, of remotely piloted or unmanned vehicles of no more than four pounds in airspace below 400 feet. 
line of sight from the operator. That's the first step. Uh, the ultimate step is to integrate these things fully into the airspace on, under no special circumstances. That's and exactly right, Dave. Congress would like that done by either 2015 or 2016. I don't have that mm-hmm. exactly in my screen, but uh, this has all kind of been driven by some very solid lobbying and, and effective lobbying by the uh, the the many, many companies that see big business in, in unmanned aerial vehicles. So given that this horse is out of the barn, so to speak, um, you know, we've been joking about this for, for a couple of years now, but it, it's going to happen, right? So what should the pilot community be lobbying for in terms of trying to keep this safe? Any thoughts? Who wants to go first? <laughs> Just say no. Well, I don't think you're going to get to say no. I think this is well, going to happen. I think that's to be the first uh, response. Okay. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I think just say no should be the first response. If you don't start somewhere, you're going to have to get, you're going to give up something somewhere. So if you don't start with all the whole ball of wax, why bother? But uh, right. so, yeah, do you, you, Jeb, I mean, come on, Jeb, you're, you're realistic. You've been hanging around with the you know the legislative community for a long time now. Do you really think right. it's he's, do you do you think it's realistic to think that we're going to be able to say no? Of course not. You're going to get less. Question. That's a different question. Okay, so you're going to say get less, so but you got to start with all you want. Right. So you're going to start out by hmm. saying no as a negotiating you know tactic. What is it that you want to end up with? We not want, as not as much less as you'd have started be if you didn't start with saying no. <laughs> we want nothing less than level A guarantee software capabilities of seeing a void that no eyeball could ever do. That it's got to be able to recognize autonomously and avoid autonomously. Mm-hmm. Because the end game on this isn't having four pound machines operated in line of sight. This is to have the kind of stuff that we have now in our theaters of conflict across the, 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 the backside of the globe where an intelligence operative flying a drone here at McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita is taking pictures of a nuclear suspected nuclear site in Iran with a remotely piloted vehicle that has a little bit of a lag time in, in the control architecture. Because it's going from here to an uplink to a satellite across the pond to the satellite to downlink to the remotely piloted vehicle. Well, that, that's not suitable for mixing with the, uh, uh, aircraft that carry us human beings. Okay. Amy, Jeb, anything? I personally am very uncomfortable think- with having remotely piloted vehicles in the same airspace with me. I think we all are the question, but but uh, I don't it, I don't I don't know that that's a fair statement. I'm not I don't know that I'm comfortable with that at all. Why should I be comfortable with that? No, no, I'm, I agree. Yeah, I, I think that none of us are comfortable with having them in the airspace. But I think okay. it's a reality that they're going to be in the airspace. So what should we d- be demanding in terms of? And and David has told us what he thinks. What do you guys think we should be demanding in terms of, you know, quality of safety or whatever term you want to use? Prove to me that that it's not going to go haywire, that somebody on the ground can't steal it and take it in another direction. Okay. Jeb? Well, in that vein, prove to me that it has some some kind of fail-safe modes. Um, If it loses connection with Mother Earth, what happens? Okay. 
in the scheme of things, the the IFR system as we know it isn't really what scares me about uh, un, un, uh, unmanned vehicles. Um, I think the technology is probably okay to put um, a remotely piloted vehicle in the IFR system as long as everything works. Yeah. That's when it breaks that I start to get, you know, gray hair. And I get more gray hair when I think about um, what can happen and what's going on in the IFR system on good VFR days. Um, so those are concerns. Mm-hmm. The Look, final concern want- I have is in, in airport environments and um, at low level, where, what I call Indian territory, below 5,000 feet AGL. Um, how are they going to transition from the ground through that airspace? Where are they going to be doing that transitioning? Um, and what's going to be their normal operational altitudes? Mm-hmm. What yeah. I'm, what I'm, I, I see basically two kinds of, of UAVs out there. I see um, UAVs comparable to a Bonanza or an RV-10 of that basic size, weight, and, and speed capabilities. Um, they'd be used for any number of different kinds of things. Uh, those don't scare me as much as the smaller ones that are going to be used like, you know, 500 to 1,000 AGL and uh, are basically surveillance only anyway. So they're, they're uh, you know, it's Big Brother looking. So I'll, I always have a built-in bias there. But that's that's not a good place for unmanned aircraft with with uh, I don't know unknown sensors for lack of a better word to be operating. I don't think. Well, quality anyway, uh, especially and, and, near an airport. And 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 what concerns me is, and this is on your list too, is when you're talking about these kinds of of things, and then you look and you see how easy it is to say jam a GPS signal. Thank you. Then where do you go? Because these things are autonomous, some of them. It's not yeah. even that they're remotely piloted. They're on a program. They're like my Roomba, mm-hmm. vacuuming yeah. my room. That's really good, yeah. Well, and, and, I, and that may well be inevitably in the future, but that's not what they're talking about right now. Right, right now they're well, talking about unmanned but remotely controlled, right? No, they're talking about all the above. Really? Unmanned aerial vehicles, remotely controlled and autonomously controlled. Uh, There's also a split here between what they're calling public aircraft and civil aircraft. Uh, One being what law enforcement and government entities are going to be allowed to use and how they're going to be allowed to use them. And the other for the commercial exploitation of the technology in the public airspace. And I don't use exploitation in a derogatory manner. It's just going to be a way to make money. That's what got everybody salivating. Uh, There's going to be two things that are going to really upset this cart, and they're not going to happen for a while. (laughs) I know exactly where you're headed. Go ahead. One of them is the inevitability that one of these machines will tangle with something that holds human beings whose lives will be lost in the process. Uh, that's going to really upset the Apple cart, and it's going to take a whole lot of juggling and backpedaling and crisis PR to keep this one from going all downhill from that one event, and God help us if it's an airliner. The second thing is going to be the fight over the privacy rights uh, 
that are pretty much at risk over the idea of having hundreds of these little under two pound or under four pound uh, law enforcement below 400 feet machines zooming around over people's backyards. That case was decided on a single level by the Supreme Court several years ago where there was suspicion of a person's activities and the police went up with an airborne platform and got photographs that helped lead to his property being raided and him being arrested and convicted. Uh, there was a finding that he really didn't have a right to privacy from you know aircraft flying overhead. Really? Uh, it, well, as long as there was a suspicion of, of some basis, even though it was not probable cause good enough to get a search warrant. But now we're talking about an invasion of small, remotely piloted camera platforms that could be anything from the size of a hummingbird to a size of radio-controlled sailplane, uh, carrying somebody's iPhone over your backyard while you're sunbathing with your butt bare. Uh, when this starts to like affect everyday people at, 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 at high levels, uh, this is going to wind up in front of the courts again. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, well, yeah. And it, one Go thing ahead, real quick, Jack. We, we, we've seen this recently here on the podcast in talking about this property owner out in California who had sued a balloon operator, hot air balloon tour operators, uh, who were e- using his airspace, in his words. Um, that that law has long ago been decided that um, you don't own the air rights over, over your property, or at least you don't have an expectation of privacy um, vis-a-vis what's viewable from the air over your property. Um, Barbara Streisand figured that out. Uh, this 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 uh, farm owner out in California figured it out, and I think we're all going to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole question of privacy is is a huge one, and I'm very sensitive to it. But it's kind of a whole other podcast, and a little, it is a little bit outside the scope of what we're talking about here. But, well, and but I think there are probably podcasts already devoted to the subject. Yeah, no question. But but the but the the the, the safety issues, you know, the airspace safety issues are, are, are what I'm curious about. And I think we've talked about it. We'll talk about it more in the future. I'm sure. I like it. I'll stick with those two as being the ones that are going to cause the the biggest uproar over this technology, and 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 I pray that it's the court one first. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, and I have to say that you know it's brought to focus some of the um, say it ain't so glaring problems with next gen. I agree with mm-hmm. I agree with it completely. If it's that easy to jam a GPS signal, and we're going to balance the whole thing on GPS, right? Uh, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it, that that whole thing with light speed, the the light Lights. speed debate uncovering light squared. Uh, I'm sorry, light squared. Now I'm starting to do it. I did that it first. Light yeah. squared thing starting uncovering some previously unrecognized weakness in next gen and GPS. Where have you? Freaking people, Ben. No, this it didn't uncover years. It, it highlighted it, though. Yeah. It, it yeah. reminded us that it's there. We've known this all along. In, in, in fact, you know, anything, anything can be jammed at any time. All it takes is more power. That's right. Uh, so that's never been an issue. The, and we've talked about, you know, uh, um, NOTAMs, uh, airspace, I mean, GPS jamming uh, NOTAMs right. uh, before, where... You know, there'll be a ship off uh, the east coast of Florida, 
and you know doing a, a cone-shaped jam, of course, from the ship and up to you know sixty thousand feet out to you know three hundred fifty miles or something. Yeah. Well, and the and light we squared thing, admittedly, did focus a lot of attention on the very concept of a nationwide jamming system. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. previously what we've really worried about has been point specific yeah. stuff. No, see the, to me though the biggest problem is localized jamming. Um that's the more insidious kind. National jamming would be a calamity. It would be um a big deal and there would there would need to be some some serious changes in the way we do things. But it's the piecemeal um Unreported, uh, a moving target, literally, uh, kind of jamming that uh, w- worries me the most. Yeah. Uh, the specific That's what's article, truly scary. Yeah, the specific article uh, here in, that we've—I think it's on the list. I don't know that I was thinking about was there's an episode beginning in '09 and extending through '010 uh, into '10, uh, where um, a system at the Newark International Airport routinely or semi-routinely was being taken down by stray radio frequency interference and they eventually took them uh, almost a year they eventually tracked it down to a local trucker who was driving around with a gps jammer in his truck and he was driving right by the heart the 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 ground-based equipment a gps jammer he had a mm-hmm. GPS jammer what, in his what, truck. What's that? What was he trying know. to do? It's keep a, his bosses from knowing where he was? You it's bet. Within the, within the first two pages of a Google search for GPS jammer, you can have one on its way to your house for under a hundred bucks. Yeah. And what? What? Why? Why do people want to own a GPS jammer? What? What does it do? What does GPS do? Um, what is GPS used for these days? So it prevents it's everybody used, in the area. Used, Go it's ahead. Used Jeff. to track rental. It's used to track rental cars. It's used to track delivery vehicles, uh, other vehicles, service vehicles that are in use by, by employees. Um, it can be used uh, for any number of things. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. Interesting. Okay. I mean, hey, if the truck driver wanted to knock off for an hour and a half and not have the folks at home or back in the home office notice that he was at a residential address when he should have been dropping a load off at the industrial park, a little jammer for that little uh, repeater system that shows where he is to the system all the time. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Okay. Hey, listen, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. We've got to uh, wrap no! this up here. Um, yeah, I think, we've, I think we've covered the whole, the whole thing, and, uh, and I'm sure we're not done. We'll be back to it in the future. Um, having said that, let me say this. Shout-outs. What do we got? Anybody got any shout I got one. I'll start while you guys are thinking about the subject. Quick shout out to uh, listener Jim P, uh, who uh, has told us in the forums that he is a new airplane owner. Yay! Congratulations. Uh, He's uh, given us a fairly long post in the forums uh, describing his purchase, Um, but the first couple of uh, sentences here, it finally happened. I'm now the proud owner of my very first airplane. It's a beautiful red and white 1975 Grumman American AA-5 Traveler. And so uh, he tells us a lot more about his airplane, and, and I'm very jealous, and, and uh, we congratulate listener Jim P. for becoming an, an airplane owner. Yeah, good job. Yeah. 
Okay, time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, Amy, it's always good to have you, have you join us here in the hangar. We appreciate your uh, taking a moment here while you're still catching your breath from your uh, conference in, in Texas. Uh, and uh, as always, Amy Laboda, a freelance aviation writer and editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Uh, Amy, what have you been working on? Anything in particular that people can check out right now? Uh, I've been doing a little work uh, all over the place. In fact, a little work for Aviation Safety Magazine uh, for a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, we've been having a lot of fun with with a neat um, column that deals with, with squawks. And fixing troubleshooting in the air—that—that—that's that, that, kind of fun. Cool. And, um, and, and then go ahead. I've I've done some work for uh, uh, Fly Corporate Magazine. I've got a piece coming soon in Aviation International News. And there's always Aviation for Women Magazine at afwdigital.org, which I have. I'm in. Oh my God! Phase of trying to meet my deadlines yeah. for we'll the let, May issue. And we'll let you get back to that real soon. Now, uh, Jeb Burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, work. Uh, what have you been working on? Anything people can check out? Well, uh, Amy's articles, obviously, uh, are of interest. She's, she just put one in to the uh, April issue, uh, coming soon to a mailbox near you. Um, talking, one of the topics we were on uh, here at the end of the of the uh, episode had to do with uh, GPS outages. And uh, Tom Turner uh, took on that topic uh, on a kind of a widespread basis. In other words, what, ha- what would happen if the entire system went down um, uh, all of a sudden, without warning, and uh, what would you do if you were airborne at the time, depending on GPS, uh, which is kind of an interesting, uh, 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 interesting theme. Um, in that same uh, in that same topic, though, I had an, uh, uh, some editorial uh, license on that overall topic too, and talking about this jamming situation at Newark uh, International and. Uh, um, um, the fact that there really is no follow-on in the pipeline right now, at least to my knowledge, in the U.S. to GPS. It's starting to get a little long in the tooth. It's starting to get a little vulnerable. It's starting to be time to think about a replacement. Yeah. And, and that's a piece in the magazine? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's an editorial. Yeah. Very good. And in general, where could people find you on the Internet? Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com, JEBurnside.com, sometimes AEA.net, sometimes AvWeb.com. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Anything we can check out? Uh, In a couple of weeks, you'll be able to check out a feature story that I just uh, finished on uh, Paula Dirks, the uh, head of the Aircraft Electronics Association, and uh, how that organization has grown and expanded uh, since she took over as uh, president. And where they're headed going into their convention in, uh, I believe it's D.C. next month. And what publication mm-hmm. is that? That will be in World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Cool. And where else can people find you on the Internet? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, yeah, Avionics News a, itself, actually. Yeah. I think I had a, a Higdon article in that same issue. This is starting to be the... UCAP Aviation Safety Magazine. I, I, I've been thinking about that in the past. There's far too much cross-pollination among us, but that's okay. I'll live with it, if you will. I was going to say, it is a who-you-know world, whether you like it or not. 
And and I wanted to uh, well, go ahead, finish up, Jack. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume One: The Stories of the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Fly-In. That's uh, you can learn more about that at uh, Amazon.com/author/JackHodgson, or in general, you can uh, track me down at JackHodgson.com and AroundTheField.net. David, before I go into the other intros. Is there something else you wanted? What were you saying? I was just going to say to Jim Parker that uh, all you got to do is look at Jeb and me to know that I'm right. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Well, We're both way older than we look. Okay. <laughs> that's not quite where I was going yet, but let me first of all say a big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, to Roy Searle, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, we are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the uncontrolled controlled airspace homepage and the box in the right hand column labeled tip jar doesn't need to, be, need to be very much just 10 or 15 dollars over the span of a year is a big big help and don't forget you can visit with all of us at the uncontrolled airspace website you can read the blog view the forums check out the wiki the aviation movies list the new ratings web page of fame and more all of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com david you already said you were going to say uh what else oh i know uh that's enough talk and let's go flying The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.